Hey, it's Jay. I think a lot about the purpose of this show as it relates to not just podcasting, but creativity. I think somewhere along the lines, we lost sight of what creativity really is. You know, with all the social followers we can see from people we admire and the headlines in the media of people who have apparent overnight successes, forgetting the fact that it was probably 10 to 15 to 25 years to get there, all these things add up to us putting creativity up on a pedestal. I came out of the marketing world where creativity is kind of a substitute for the real work, but it shouldn't be. It's not a stunt double. It's not some random act. It's not a substitute for the real work. It is the real work. Creativity is practice. It's repetition plus reinvention over time. Make something, then do it again. Try to make it better that time. And then you just do that over the long arc of time, and then your career is over. So if you think about it, there's really only one project. It's your body of work. Now, because of this show's approach, three clips, we're trying to distill some really creative projects down into these tiny little atomic moments. And I think that's where creativity actually happens. It happens in the minutia. Still, I get really excited and inspired when I encounter a podcaster who is living up to the higher ideals of storytelling, but doing so without forgetting that it unfolds in the day-to-day world. My favorite storytelling hero, Anthony Bourdain, he told stories on his show Parts Unknown, and I think the parts he reached that were unknown were the meaningful parts of the day-to-day lives of the people he encountered, not the geographical locations. Well, the person we talked to today is doing something very similar. She respects the fact that, yes, creativity has a certain philosophy to it, and oh my gosh, do we love philosophizing here on this podcast about the creative craft, about podcasting, but this guest today also dives headlong into the day-to-day lives of people around her, and it's there that she finds incredible stories, that she finds the parts that, until she told them, were unknown. I want to know how to do the things you do A thing, a two, a three that only comes from you This is Three Clips This is Three Clips, and I am Jay Akunzo, and I believe that creativity is all about the tiny techniques, the micro moments, and the refreshing wrinkles. And so on this show, we invite a podcaster that we admire to take us inside their process and break down their best work a few little pieces at a time. Today, we talk to Nicole Hill, creator, host, and producer of The Secret Adventures of Black People. She's going to reveal some of the small stuff that makes a big difference for her show. This podcast was named to the Bellow Collective and IndieWire's Top 100 Podcasts of 2020. Nicole does all her own production, and uh, I love the fact that I'm talking to another podcaster who, like me, is sort of a DIY approach, a self-taught podcaster who found their way into doing it professionally, because that is what Nicole now does. Thanks to the positive impression that the secret adventures of black people made in the podcasting community in 2020, Nicole now earns a living as a producer. The Secret Adventures of Black People has a refreshing premise. It is wonderfully produced. It is a very big labor of love, I know, not only from talking to Nicole, but from having my own narrative podcast called Unthinkable. These things are not easy to create, especially when you do it alone. So we're going to dive headlong into the beautiful mess of making stuff, especially when you're pretty much doing it alone and you have high hopes for the sound. We're going to dive into that. Uh, But first, let's meet the show's creator, Nicole Hill. What is it about living in and loving Washington, D.C. that 
has influenced your storytelling? So being in a city period is so inspirational. You, you There's a nonstop stream of characters that just pass you by every day. I live across the street from a 7-Eleven. I could write, I, should, I could make a whole podcast about what's going on at the 7-Eleven. And then at DC, there's this mix of like ambition and also a bunch of dreamers who are hiding it. So I feel like that is a lot of what inspired me. People being like, oh yeah, I just want to like come here and change the world and do important work and blah, blah, blah. Also, I do a little bit of puppeteering on the side and I'm like, oh, I want to hear about that. So I think that's kind of the duality of what people bring to this city is what I really kind of inspired me. I grew up in Southern Connecticut, which the area I lived in kind of skewed New York. And then I did end up living in New York for a couple of years. It, uh, that's not New York, right? Like that's New York is like, I'm I'm going to give you the veneer and it's going to be me trying to impress you. Essentially, it's I would the puppeteering thing wouldn't come out, for example, because it's like it's not impressive enough. It doesn't puff me up enough, you know? Well, that's true. But that's how it is in D.C. too. I mean, I think people are coming here to do serious work and then you have to dig and dig and dig. And then you get to, oh, I also have this little dream, but I think it's silly. Um, in New York, I feel like I did less digging. New York, it was right underneath the surface of like, I'm a banker, but I might throw it all away and become, I don't know, some type of like a rock and roll star. Oh, that's interesting. Because I was thinking it wouldn't come out. But what you're saying is like, maybe you're ground to such a pulp in a city like that, that you're like, yeah, I'm in banking, but like, oh, I'm at my wits end. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's kind of what I think. I don't know. I don't, there's no science behind this theory, but I just think that people are c- coming here to do really important work and change the world, which is great. But also on the weekends, you kind of have always dreamt of being, you know, a rock star. And I love that. It's like, let's talk about that. Is it fair to say that your show is about the but also's in people's lives? Ooh, I can't snap. I don't want that sound on the mic, but Go for it. that is. That's very good. I think that is what the show is. <laughs> what, so why start that show? Why make a show like that? I mean, because those are the stories that most interested me. I have done, you know, a lot of programs where I was able to travel a lot and meet a ton of people. And after a while, you just hear the same story over and over and over again. The most dramatic thing that's ever happened, the most traumatic thing that's ever happened. I think those are the stories that kind of everybody naturally defaults to or the mundane. I have this many brothers and sisters. I went to this school, but it's kind of the everydayness of life that is so relatable and that I feel like often has little adventures and stories in it of like I had a goal of 10,000 steps and that goal actually is representative of so much more. And so in general, I love those kinds of stories and have always been attracted more so to those stories than the very big dramatic ones that usually hit the exact same beats and have the exact same motivations and outcomes. Right. Whether it's about, you know, your journey to build a successful business or career or a culture or society at large, you kind of have those familiar flavors coming out. I guess like I'm with you in that those stories are amazing. Having tried to make those stories. So I have this other show called Unthinkable where it's about creative people. and We're trying to dig deeper, look in the nooks and crannies, go beyond what you see elsewhere. But having tried you know that's it's a 140 episode show now they're really hard to find <laughs> like sometimes i'm like could i just talk to this best selling author about why they're a best selling author please <laughs> cuz like while i don't aspire to make a show like that i'm tired 
That's real. That is very real. And I mean, my show, we are, I think I'm on episode 16 or 17. And so I'm very early in and I'm tapping everyone that I know and then strangers that I meet on the street. So right now there's kind of like a never ending or not a never ending. There's a very readily accessible pool of stories to pull from. Um, And so I'm very fortunate. I think uh, you know, God willing, if I make it to 140 episodes, that might become more of a problem. And also, I think what I more so anticipate being a problem for me is that the stories, because they're so ordinary, so just like regular, I do want to dress them up a little bit to make them more engaging. Yeah. And they are about Black people. And I am and I never take for granted the fact that all of these things are happening um, with in the background, some kind of like just people dealing with a lot of other things. And I'm not going to be talking about the other things oftentimes, but that is often going on. And so what I like to do is in my mind, when I hear these conversations, they turn into like a magical wonderland. I love movies, especially old movies. And so I'm oftentimes dramatizing things in my head. And when I would retell stories, people would say that it was very funny. And I was retelling them the way I saw them, which is very dramatic. And so I more so anticipate running out of interesting dramatic premises to put to these everyday stories and running out of people but we'll see whichever comes first okay so now that the listeners have had a chance to meet you we're going to start breaking down your show the secret adventures of black people and every episode we use the same format so each of our three clips help us explore a crucial element of show and story development so our first clip will be about your show's premise you know what's your show about What's the big idea? What are you exploring? The second is going to be a clip about the experience or the format, what causes people to stay and probably feel that excitement and that love of a a story that is not the usual same old, same old. And then third and finally, the last clip we'll play is somehow related to your connection and your ability to connect more deeply with the audience, which I always find is the stuff that comes out in like tiny little idiosyncrasies and quirks, uh, which I love. And I can tell by your laugh that you love too. (laughs) And then we're going to have a fourth segment where we set aside the clips and look ahead to how you're going to continue to build the show, keep getting better at this craft, and keep reinventing the experience to keep it fresh. Um, And as a quick reminder to you, the listener, stick around to After the Credits, where Nicole is going to recommend a show that is not at the top of the charts that we think deserves some love in our segment, Play It Forward. So we're going to go into our first segment, which is about the premise. This is so overlooked with so many shows. It's actually developing what you plan on exploring. Like there's too many shows that are just generically talking topics with experts or chat cast and things like that. And self-expression is its own reward. But I think with your show, Nicole, you've given people a reason why they would subscribe even before they've heard it, just by understanding what the premise is. And you do such a great job articulating it. So we're going to play a clip that conveys that wonderfully developed premise of the show. Um, It actually doesn't require much setup for me to understand this clip. So it's the very beginning of the very first episode of the show, an episode called Modern Romance. Let's give it a listen. Once upon a time, there lived a woman named, well, my Aunt Stephanie. One day in her 40s, she found herself heartbroken in sunny California and at a crossroads in life. She decided to move back to her small factory town in Maine and swear off love for good. She's black, I'm black, there are black people in Maine, it's fine. Okay. Once there, she ran into the local carpenter named Eddie. Eddie fell in love with her on sight. 
Anthony tried everything he could think of to get her attention, but none of it worked. My aunt was not having it. Then one day, as legend has it, he built her an intricate oversized mirror, the most beautiful mirror in all of the land for the most beautiful woman, and my Aunt Stephanie's heart started to warm. So uh, how does a clip like that, especially because it's the first thing people hear, the first real content, so to speak, how does that in your mind evoke the premise of the secret lives of black people? Sorry, let me say that again. The secret adventures of black people. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> I was pretty nervous starting out that way because honestly, what I wanted to immediately evoke is this is cinematic picture, um, Cinderella and romance and those little birds that are flying around and chipmunks and stuff and comedy. Like I want you to know immediately that I'm going to be being silly that I am going to be whimsical and romantic all throughout, not necessarily just romantic in the sense of love, but romantic in the sense of whimsy, and that it's going to be Black. That's what I wanted out of the gate. And so the music I spent, I was very intentional about the music choice because I wanted it to be whimsical, cartoony, silly, and funny while I'm telling this story about Black people that I think you would expect to come out of the gate and be a little bit heavier. Right. And I think what makes it work, and, and I'm sure this is something that was very consciously thought out, was the quick cut jump-ins or parentheticals of like, they're, they're, I'm black, she's black, there are black people in Maine, it's fine. Like, you know, I think there was another one too, uh, the story of, uh, for, I'm sorry, I forget her name, your aunt's name? Oh, my aunt Stephanie. Yeah, my, my named my aunt Stephanie. Like, those mm -hmm. are the things that I was like, oh, I know, I know Nicole already, like right away. Mm -hmm. And I also know what this show's all about without you having to say 16 paragraphs worth of like, and here's what we're going to explore. And here's my backstory and all these things. Like it's, you introduced it to us by just starting the show instead of telling us about the show. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And I mean, that's like the storytelling training one-on-one start in the action, which is often hard to do when you're trying to set up an entire premise, an entire show. But I made the show about this feeling that you've just been dropped in. Um, you're in the middle of act two, but it's like the exciting part of act two. And you just got to kind of figure it out because also the feel of the show is meant to be very voyeuristic. That's a big, big goal. So I want it to feel like when I used to live in Brooklyn, I used to walk around in Dumbo and people would have their windows open and you could just see into these beautiful, beautiful homes, but you can't like lurk and stare in. So I would always have to like walk in. I'd take in as much as I could and then you have to keep going and I'd make a little picture of myself. And when I was making the show, somebody, a producer named Mark Pagan, who's fantastic, told me you should hold an image in your mind when you're making the show and always check back to see if you are being true to that image. And for me, it's that Dumbo image of you just got to walk by Maybe I should give more context. Maybe I should tell you more about why my aunt's heart was broken or the history of Black people in Maine, but I'm not going to do that. You're just getting a glimpse. I hope you enjoyed it. Enjoy the rest of your walk. Wow. I, I love both that heuristic and also that the word glimpse is such a perfect encapsulation of the whole premise of the show. Like it even matches the runtime, which are shorter episodes. Like this doesn't right. even, I don't think any of the episodes exceeded 20 minutes, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I won't go over 20. I got to 18, but I hope ide my ideal is 12. Can we talk about the name quickly and, and the origins of it, The Secret Adventures of Black People? So do you remember how you came on that name or came up with the name? And, and what does it 
what is it supposed to convey? I've never named anything well in my whole entire life. This is literally the one time. Everyone who knows has worked with me. I'm always like, if we have to name this thing, I don't want any part of it. I hate branding, the naming part of a branding exercise. Wait, why? Oh, it's so, it's just like, does the word the make you feel happier? Does it make you feel sad? I mean, just, it's so boring. (laughs) Like, it's very important. And I one time worked with a company that d- like does this and it was like watching elves work. I couldn't believe it. But for me, my mind is just like, I just want to talk about the thing that we're going to do. And can somebody else name it? Wait, I, I totally want you to answer my question, but this is something that I also used to hate and someone gave me like the best answer ever. So I just feel like I Ooh, have to share okay. it. So this is not my ideas. I forget who told, told me this early in my career. So I came out of the marketing world and I similarly thought like, you're really going to spend all that money and like have somebody put together like a 50 slide deck about like the name of something. Right. And it's like, that's a whole other, that's a whole other talk show. <laughs> but um, so the naming thing, someone was like, if you really think about it, the Beatles is a really terrible pun. So the work gives the name meaning because no one stops and goes, that's really cheesy as a name because we have a meaning associated with it. So that was one thing I heard. And I was mm. like, that makes sense. They're like, as long as you can say it out loud so you can tell a friend, and spell it reasonably easy, you're done. Because then you just focus on the work and give it meaning, no matter what oh, you name Oh, I mean, the saying it out loud, especially because podcasts, the number one way you recommend them is verbally, is, is like, you know, word of mouth. That's very true. With this show, I had been playing around with the idea of, um, was it the secret world of Alex Mack? I knew that I was going to be telling short stories. I loved the secret I think it was, it wasn't Adventures, The Secret World of Alex Mack. The Nickelodeon show. Yes. Growing up, that was like my go-to show. I wanted to turn into liquid and disappear places too. And something about that title just stuck me. I liked that it was secret because I wanted to tell stories that aren't often told about Black people. And then the word adventures just kind of came naturally because I knew I wanted to be cinematic in telling these very everyday, ordinary stories. And then I went back and forth of like Black folks or Black people, but landed on people because it was just easier to say when I was tracking. And so altogether, what the title is meant to evoke is it's meant to be tongue in cheek in this feeling of like, is she going to tell me some grandiose story, but actually I'm not, which is also another nod to the comedic nature that I want the show to always have of, I'm not going to take myself too seriously. I, I just want to tell these beautiful stories and I want to laugh. Sometimes I want to cry, but mainly I just want to portray Black life in ways that you don't always see. Yeah, the uh, the adventure word is what did it for me. And I'm sure people would latch on to different things. But it was like, oh, okay, like, take me with you, Nicole. Like, let's mm-hmm. let's see where this leads. And th- what is a podcast if not that that linear experience where our jobs are to get people to the end? Um, right, right. So and so along those lines, I think your show does a wonderful job getting people to the end. And that's where our next section comes in. So it's the experience of it all the way you structure and produce it. So The Secret Adventures of Black People clearly has a great premise. It also has a great experience. And if a premise helps give people a certain motivation to subscribe, then the experience is what gives them motivation to stay. And so we've picked out a clip that evokes that, that shares that, this amazing experience that we want to stay with. So in this clip, Nicole, you're visiting your aunt Stephanie in Maine, and you're going for a drive together. And she asks you about your love life. And then you explain to her that 
you're on three different dating apps, uh, which is something I'm sure everybody can relate to uh, <laughs> of a certain age. And and in this clip, you and Aunt Stephanie are scrolling through profiles on your phone. And here's what happens. So then it's like looking for somebody I can't wait to see at the end of the day. Like you have to say stuff like that. Yeah. And so and then I don't think I, you can get to know somebody on here until you meet up and see if the chemistry is there. I enjoy fishing, kayaking, visiting breweries, sci-fi movies, and reading everybody. Visiting does. breweries, huh? <laughs> What's wrong with that? What does that signal to you? <laughs> Drinking. <laughs> you like to drink. <laughs> okay. I don't even know how to pronounce that name. Retired military grad student, Star Trek. You guys like Star Trek, yeah. don't you? Let's see his face. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, look at him. Uh -uh. <laughs> He's a firefighter, graphic designer, very outgoing. And they all He's, put their height. He's all into bodybuilding. Yeah, yeah. He's into bodybuilding? Mm -hmm. So what exactly is rugby? It's like a form of soccer? <laughs> Sorry, he just looks bully. But then you're judging people. I know, that's all it is though. <laughs> These could be very nice people, you know, you don't even know. Why is that moment so irresistible? Why am I like gripped throughout it? I think it's fast. Uh, I think the buzzer sound, a lot of people have commented on the buzzer sound, which was my sister's last minute idea. But I think that that adds to comedy. And I think it's very relatable. I mean, so many people have had weird conversations with their families. I, so in, in that, I'm letting her pick this guy for me. And so you're going to get an older person's perspective on if he says he wants to go to a brewery, then he's out because he, all he cares about is drinking. And I think <laughs> a lot of us can relate to our, you know, the, the previous generation's hilarious standards for what they think is appropriate for you. <laughs> It is very, uh, it's warm and funny and it is whimsical, but I, I know from trying these types of things, you know, maybe even approaching strangers would be easier, but when you approach someone you love and you know well, and you sort of ask them to be part of your production, you know, doing production work is, it's, it's somewhat fake. Like you're, you're setting things up, there's microphones, there's a plan, you're trying stuff like the end result is a well-meaning manipulation of the mind of your audience. So like documentary isn't truly documenting things. You have like, how did you go about getting permission from Aunt Stephanie? Did she balk at all? It can be an awkward thing to just even get to the point where you're like, now we're going for a drive and we're recording for my show. So walk me through what it was like to actually set all that up. It helps a lot that my family does not understand any of this world of podcasting <laughs> and recording. They were like, what is that thing? Why is it on? You're always taking a picture or making a video or doing something. So she was very much like, I don't even know what you are doing right now. And I was very much like, I don't know what I'm doing. I think I had just bought the, the Zoom recorder and I was practicing. But the way that I knew I would get tape that I wanted is my aunt has been invested in my dating life since I was like 16. And so I know that if I sit down and have a conversation with her, you are going to get a, a, a dialogue that's been going on for over a decade. So I knew that that would be warm. Um, I don't want to say content because it is a conversation. I knew that you would get the warmth because she is deeply <laughs> invested <laughs> in this. And likewise, you know, when, when I'm trying to pick things to talk about with people that I know, it's, it's similar to when I'm having a conversation with a stranger. People will start talking about their jobs 
and where they live and their eyes kind of get glazed over. And the fun for me in a conversation is just digging for the light when people just kind of get like, a, they perk up a little bit. And that's when you get um, warmth and, and something personal. So that's oftentimes what I'm looking for in terms of getting permission from people. Uh, in the beginning, it was super easy because it was like, no one will ever hear this podcast. Uh-huh. I told them if I'm lucky, 50, and when I'm working with clients, that's what I tell them. I say, if you're not willing to work as hard as you possibly can and only ever have a hundred people ever hear all of your episodes put together, I would suggest not even starting this because that's what podcasting wow. is for so many people, wow. you know? That speaks and- to my soul right there. Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. It's, like, it's also aligned, like it's it's it sets your mind right if you're trying to make something meaningful. Mm-hmm. and that you love and it helps you get into the practice of it all because that's how we get better at this stuff it also i think is way more aligned with how you grow something today which is mm-hmm. i'm gonna hand this to 15 friends or connections in general and if they don't love it enough to get the next 15 to listen to it then why would i go running around the internet screaming about my show and putting links everywhere like exactly so you i think we're always in the mode of this is only for a small number of people. And even if you distill further down, it's almost like I had a, a friend once tell me that he writes, he's a blogger, he writes for a stadium of people like him, or his name is Tim. He writes for a stadium of Tims. Mm-hmm. So like, I like to podcast for a stadium of Jays. Mm-hmm. And like, I, you cannot remove the self from this craft. And so it's this weird, you have to do like a mental jujitsu move on yourself to be like, is this for other people? Sure. Is this for me? Also, yes. Exactly. And, and, and I mean, it is always a good idea to have an audience in mind and to know that audience really intimately. And oftentimes people will try to think of something very grandiose because you don't want to sound self-involved. But it's just like a, a, a long, complicated way of saying the audience is me. I know what I like and I have to make something that I would be proud of and I would enjoy. And yeah. the only reason anybody ever heard my show is because my family and friends recognize me in it and were willing to share. How is how is your your like house sound or style changed or what are you trying to do with more recent episodes? Like if you can kind of compare contrast what we just played mm. to what the show is like now. Like you even mentioned you went back, maybe based on some influence from listeners and what they expect from you. What about the production of the audio itself? What's changed? Mm. The production of the audio itself. I don't know that much has changed. I think that that was kind of. That is what I'm going for. I will say I don't like to start off with a lot of talking up top. I do want to get closer to just dropping people in the action. I haven't been able to do that quite yet, but that is a bigger, more important goal huh. to me to get it away from me as much as possible. Why do you say you haven't been able to do it yet? I find, and I probably shouldn't do it. The The most consistent feedback that I've been getting from people who helped me develop the show is that people like you, people want to hear from you. But for me, I'm like, let's just have a, a, my goal would be a fully non-narrated episode. You just hear me say hello, and then you get thrown into somebody else's movie. That's where I really, really want to be. And I think as the show goes on, I'm moving further and further away from me and more and more towards the guest. 
which then requires a different interview technique than what I have been using, which Mm. is largely conversational and unplanned. I'm just looking for the moment that sparks my interest in what they were saying before. But to get to a place where you don't need a lot of tracking and don't need a lot of guidance from me, I need them to tell me stories. I need them to speak in stories. I need them to share things that um, kind of share in a way that naturally flows uh, from one topic to the next or from one scene or image to the next image without me needing to come in between and guide you. That's a responsibility, it seems, of you as the interviewer to to ensure you either create an environment or ask the right questions or both. Definitely. To get those details. Um, do you have any examples of when things seem to click? Because it can be tough to get someone to speak in a story style in the way that you would if you were being interviewed because you are a storyteller. Yeah, I I mean I always like to start my interview off with when was the last time that you laughed really hard? Um instead of the like what did you have for breakfast? That's how I like to get my levels and that kind of puts people at ease. And then once we start talking, especially cuz I'm trying to get stories, I don't want anyone to tell me a whole story all together in a row. I really want to move from scene to scene. So the pre-interviews, shout out to Andrea like doing that always. Um, So I love a pre-interview and uh, to get a sense of what is the story it is that you're going to tell me. But if I'm doing one of my on the spot interviews, then it's very much um, looking at them and seeing when they get really excited and then just sitting in that for a minute and asking them, okay, what was all around you? What did you see? I know I need sound design. I know I need um, sound effects and music and I want to create visual scenes. So I try to spend a lot of time getting people to sit in moments and not feel like they need to keep going. And I am usually naturally interested, but I also try to make sure that I'm demonstrating a lot of interest and excitement because it, they're still performing. And the more you feel like you have an audience, the more comfortable you'll feel. So I try to be like, so high school about it where I'm like, oh my God. And then what did he say? And then what did you say? Like, I just get so unprofessional and like not, you know, clean because I also get excited. So it's fun for me because I don't have to like, you know, do anything, but also it's fun for them because you revert back to a a high schooly type place. And I'm just like, oh, I would die. Like, I just try to be so silly and dramatic and it, it seems to make people comfortable. So we're going to move on to the next segment, which is our third and final clip. The Secret Adventures of Black People has a great premise, and it is intentionally crafted to be a great experience. So listeners feel motivated to subscribe and to stay. And once people are sticking and staying to an experience like yours, Nicole, it's where the relationship starts to form. Those idiosyncrasies, whether you are being high school and you know excitable and interested or other things they get to learn about, about you and or the other voices and sort of the overall tone of the show. So there's a relationship that happens with the person and by extension, the show. And I think the whole goal here is to make someone's favorite show, at least for this specific purpose that you occupy. And what I'm Mm -hmm. always fascinated about with favorite, my favorite example to use is the New York Knicks, because that's my favorite sports team of any sports team. Um, I don't know if you follow sports, Nicole, but do you want to know what (laughs) what one of the worst sports teams of any sports team is? I bet I could guess. Yeah, so like... (laughs) Favorite doesn't mean number one. It doesn't mean the biggest. It doesn't mean the most successful. It It's irrationally personal. And you self-express. It says something about your identity to say, that's my favorite something, my favorite show. And that forms over lots of time spent 
and lots of idiosyncrasies and quirks and connection happening uh, between the, the voice, the host, and the audience. So we were curious, how do you and how does your show by extension resonate so personally with your listeners? And so we've pulled out this final clip from later in your conversation with Aunt Stephanie about dating when she started telling you about a man she met who she thought you would like <laughs> and you just threw your head back and started <laughs> laughing. So can't wait to hear what we have here. Let's play the clip. This guy's holding an alligator. Really? These are Maine people. Oh, get mm. off the Maine side. <laughs> <laughs> Although, Eddie and I went to um, Belfast, mm. and there was this guy there. He was um, from Chicago, and he had these dreadlocks. Mm. I thought about you because he was really cute. Was he? He was very nice and very educated. Was he white with locks? He was black. He was oh. black, and he had this. He was very cute, very well-dressed, very educated. Carried himself very well, very well spoken, very friendly. Just in the future, you can just Thank give you. those guys my number. Okay. And I just, thought about it. So I'm like, oh, hmm. Go ahead on. We're past dignity. I'm like, yeah. He said he was just out. He said, I want to just come see Maine. So I just took a road trip. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, wow. So what do you notice about that piece, Nicole? <laughs> um, honestly, the first thing that stands out to me, because now I'm in a producer hat, is the um, the person who comes in, whoever she's giving us the food. I just like that as a scenic addition. I think it's important to keep reminding the, the listener of where you are. So I really like that that moment happened. But I mean, the, the funny part is is just that who she would pick out for me. I think a lot of times, you know, people have an image of who you should be with and me just being like, it's okay. Like give those guys my number um, is indicative of the relationship that we have where I don't think I would actually love for her to do that, but I would love for her to think that I would love for her to do that because I respect her and she's my elder and she is so invested in this. And um, it's it's almost as much for her. I mean, the the idea of showing her the dating apps is very much. I know that this will be very important for her and and fun. Is she someone who like has just given your number out? Will she go to that length? No. So she she really will draw the line. But if I like were to be out in the world and and see a guy, and if I if I get her gave her the green light, she would absolutely just just go. I don't <laughs> know what happens to you after you pass fifty. You just don't care. I, you just talk to anyone. It's amazing. The, the power dynamic shifts with this clip. Like mm. you were at first in the position of power judging men's profiles. And now you're like vulnerable. You're sort of giving up that mm. power. And like you said, we're, we're past dignity was the, the soundbite <laughs> here. And I feel like when you're creating a show like this, it's easy for me to sit here and say, Look at this move that Nicole created. Look at this technique she deployed. When you when you try those things and then you choose to include them later, mm. are you intentionally saying, well, now we can raise some tension or now I can make myself vulnerable? Or is it gut feel? Are you sort of sensing it more than choosing it? It's definitely a gut feeling, um, which is hard because it's not replicable. I think when people ask me, like, how do you get it to sound natural? They, yeah, they want, want the replicable. Blueprint. Exactly. Yeah. And I just don't know what it is. It's I, I've listened to a podcast a day, every day for maybe 12 years. Um, and I've watched a million movies and you just get a feel for the beats and for what feels, what makes you feel con connected. 
And so that's the feeling that I'm usually going for. Yeah. I, I Back when we could do such things, I had a, a drink with a friend of mine who I, I feel is a better writer and a wildly creative person. And I'm always nudging him like, you need a show or at least try it. Like, I think he would mm. really enjoy it. Not because I, I want it to be famous or, you know, I, I'm like, you would just really enjoy this. And he was talking to me about the production process and, and all these things. He's like, I wouldn't know like what decisions to make and all those things. And I was like, think of it this way. Whatever your runtime is, like let's say you make a 30-minute episode, you're actually making like five to 25 really tiny episodes because you're like doing a thing, yes. then you're listening back to it, and then you're adjusting it, and then you move on. And then you do another thing, and then you're listening back to it, and you're adjusting it and moving on. And so like when people say trial and error, they're like, well, it's going to break me. But if you're just like going moment to moment, like if you really look under the hood at this stuff, it really does happen in the micro. It happens in the minutia. Like that's why the show is three clips and not, you know, I don't know what a, I can't, to your point on naming things, I'm going to butcher it. But, <laughs> you know, like there's some grander version of this show. And what we're trying to do is, is show people, actually, the people you admire, they're making this stuff happen in the micro. There's mm -hmm. not some muse that visits and nor is there some secret technique that unlocks everything it there's a lot of trial and error it's a lot of gut feel and there's a lot of just like piecing it together as we go i think that's probably one of the most important takeaways of of podcasting i'm not even saying that to gas you up you know when you make a show the the strange thing for my show is that people reach out to me a lot which i didn't expect and they want a blueprint and the belief is that you probably just out of the gate made that episode and it was great and without an understanding of like i was going clip by clip and moment by moment it's like you're making a little mini movie so i'm creating scenes a little bit at a time and each scene might take 2 3 weeks i mean it's it's it it's a process and I don't know anyone who's come out of the gate having had it all figured out and having gotten it exactly right and made gold. I made a whole other podcast. I couldn't even tell people about it was so bad. And <laughs> I've got all kinds of clips that I could never use. I mean, it, it's absolutely, you have to be willing to like make a lot of bad before you, you get to something that you really enjoy or that other people might like. So it's, it's actually time to mix things up. We are not going to play a clip in this segment. Okay. We're going to talk about reinvention because eventually the tried and true, you ready? The tried and true. Nicole, are you ready? I need to know oh, that you're ready. Oh, ready, I think ready so. For this? Okay. <laughs> I don't know. The tried and true becomes the tired and terrible. Oh, not, not the TR and the, I like not, it. Mm -hmm. Not bad. That's what's, that's what 50 K a year at a liberal arts college will get you. I'm, I'm actually, I want to say, I'm just joking. I believe in liberal arts, but anyways, uh, good sound bite. Leave it in. So if you do the same thing, the same way people get bored and yeah. you get bored. So we have to reinvent time is this source of friction against any creative project, any proven thing. So we've talked about the premise, we've talked about the experience, and we've talked about your connection with your audience. How do you maintain both your connection to this show and that deep relationship with the audience by, by keeping this show somehow refreshing? Um, how do you avoid stagnation? What are you experimenting with? What do you want to try to keep reinventing the show? I think that what's going to be really important for me, what has been important for me, is to keep consuming a lot of other content of, of, of listening to a ton of podcasts of watching weird movies um watching tv shows i'm looking for and getting inspiration 
in so many other places and things that people are doing. So at the heart of it, I always want it to be small. I want these stories to be really intimate um, and to feel voyeuristic, but I want to present them in different ways. And I think through listening, I mean, stealing, that's that's the, the simple answer. Just yep. if somebody else is doing something really cool and doing it well, I want to try it. I want to see if I can replicate it. So as long as I'm giving myself little challenges, I think it will continued to be engaging and surprising to the audience, which I was worried that because each episode is so different, it would give them that sense of whiplash, which I talked about earlier. But um, the feedback that I'm getting from people is that they really enjoy that. So um, so I think as long as I'm keeping it uh, fresh and interesting in and trying different techniques that I see other people do that I notice, speaking to our point of like your audience is probably yourself, uh, that I notice that I really respond to, uh, I think that I won't, it won't feel stagnant to me and hopefully it won't feel stagnant to the listeners. So Nicole, uh, this was so great. Your show is so great. Thank you for making it. And thank you for coming on this show. Yeah. Some shows shout out and thank their guests by sending swag and little handwritten notes. <laughs> so what we figured is we'll cut down emissions. We will, let's be serious, get rid of some landfill, as much as swag is nice as the gesture. I don't know how long <laughs> it's going to sit on my shelf before it eventually ends up in the trash. We'll be sure. honest there. Sure. We're going to place a small donation in your honor to nokidhungry.org wow. as a way of saying thank you for coming on the show and uh, leveraging podcasting for good. So, Nicole, thank you so much. Thank you. This is so fun. Thanks so much for listening. This episode was produced by Andrea Maraskin and original theme music was provided by Cardboard Rocket Chip. If you like three clips, check out my other podcast, Unthinkable, or subscribe to my weekly newsletter called Playing Favorites. You can explore that stuff plus my education for content creators at jayacunzo.com. And now it's our bonus segment where every episode we ask our guest for a podcast that they'd like to recommend that is not at the top of the charts, a show they'd like to show some love to. We call this play it forward. So the show I want to shout out is The Color Girl Beautiful. It is a show by host Aselica Smith. And full disclosure, I am also the producer on that. Um, But that was kind of my first big podcast project. And what Aselica is doing on this show is she is writing letters to a woman named Madame Azalea Hackley, who lived in uh, the 1800s and wrote the first etiquette book for Black women. And this book is so interesting because it has a lot of the things that we wrestle with still today, the juxtapositions between respectability and also wanting to carve out a new lane for yourself where you don't have to mold yourself into what somebody else wants you to be. You can be proud in your Blackness, but it's complicated. And so in each episode, she explores a different chapter and a different kind of juxtaposed reality that uh, the author suggests for Black women. Um, And she explores it in a conversation with another Black woman who's wrestling with it too. And I think what we were getting at is just like that sense of... um, uh, intimacy in those conversations, that the, that sense of vulnerability that was really important to us, that people not come on with prepared speeches about how they never had any problems and how they always believed in themselves and that's how they made it happen. We want to talk to you about all of the moments of your life where you didn't believe in yourself and how how you swam your way through those kind of muddy waters. So I love the show. Um, we're on a little bit of a break right now, but we'll be back, I think, in the next couple months. So the first season though is available and it's called the color girl beautiful it's available wherever you get podcasts and also at the color girl 
All right, that's it for this episode. As always, I'm your host, Jay Akunzo, and I believe that this work we do is not about who arrives, it's about who stays. So thank you so much for staying with me, and I'll talk to you this coming Monday with a brand new episode of the show. See ya.